So I'm just going to pray before we get started. So Jesus, thank you so much for this community of people and for this space and for this time together. I pray that you would just meet everyone here and meet them where they're at. And I pray that you would just be in this space with us as we share this time together. So many of you have probably seen this mural. It's one of 50 murals that's painted on the buildings along the L between 46th and 63rd streets. And collectively, they are known as the Love Letter Project. So the artist who created all 50 of them is named Steve Powers, and he grew up in West Philly. And he used to think of the L as his interaction with the city. So when he started the Love Letter Project, he wanted to create what he called Brick Valentines, that, as the Mural Arts Project put it, expressed a love letter from a guy to a girl, from an artist to his hometown, and from local residents to their neighborhood of West Philadelphia. So I love this mural. I love that it was painted on what I've always assumed is an abandoned bar. I don't actually know that for sure, but I think that's what it is. I love that the mural doesn't ask the building to be anything more than it is. Instead, it tells a story that invites us to see what is, but not stop longing for more. I imagine this mural is the building, the neighborhood, and perhaps even the city of Philadelphia giving voice to the idea that we are not yet what we want to be, but that we're willing to wait seemingly forever, after all 4,800 years is a long time, to become what we are called to be. But waiting, I found, is easier said than done. When you're not waiting, or when things have worked out for you, it's easy to say things like, God has a plan, God works for our good, or my personal favorite, just pray on it. But when you are waiting, when you're in the midst of longing for something that you don't yet have, those platitudes fall short. Waiting can be hard, and it can be sometimes deeply painful. When you're waiting, it can be hard to focus on anything other than the thing that you're waiting for, and that can leave you feeling exhausted, unsettled, and dissatisfied. So I know what that kind of waiting is like. I'm a planner, and I like to know when things are gonna happen, and usually, I want them to happen on my carefully constructed timeline. So waiting has always been really, really easy for me. No, I'm really bad at waiting. So when I graduated from college, I knew that I wanted to be a teacher, and I was pretty sure that it was something that God was calling me to do. So like any good planner, I followed all of the steps that I knew I needed to take to become a teacher. And yet the summer before I was supposed to start my first year in the classroom, I watched as person after person that I went to grad school with got a job, and I was just still left waiting. Um, weeks went by, and I had nothing. There were no jobs. There were no leads on jobs. Um, it was all consuming, and I was stressed all the time. And my parents are here, and they can probably attest to the fact that I was pretty miserable to be around because that was all I was talking about. Um, at one point, I was so desperate to try to find something before the school year started that I made a Google map of every middle and high school in the city of Boston, and then I decided to just drive around and show up at two or three schools a day and um, just sort of show up and see what happened. So if you've never been inside a school in the summer, um, let me paint you a little picture of what that looks like. It's creepy. Um, there are entire classrooms of furniture that are stacked in the hallway. All of the lockers are swung open. There's an eerie quiet that is pretty much only reminiscent of a horror movie. Um, and in most public school buildings, there's no air conditioning. So there I was in my pencil skirt and heels, climbing over furniture, wandering around trying to find the principal's office. And then once I found the principal's office, I would barge in, slightly sweaty, on the off chance that maybe they had a job that they just wanted to give me. So despite this master plan, 
I was still the last person in my grad school cohort to get a job a week and a half before the school year started. So now, seven years later, when I think about that summer, it sounds and was ridiculous. Um, but I did all of that because I was so uncomfortable with just waiting. I had spent time preparing for and falling in love with a career that I wasn't sure that I was going to get the chance to have. And the idea of just waiting for that was excruciating. All I remember from that summer was that it felt endless and exhausting. And the experience of waiting was all consuming. So the story that we're going to focus on today provides another better way of looking at and experiencing waiting. So we've been spending the summer, if you've been here over the summer, looking at unusual heroes of the Bible, people that it seemed unlikely that God would use, but that he ended up using and showing up for in some pretty spectacular ways. So the main character of our story today was heroic, not just and maybe not even primarily because she eventually became the mother of one of the most important prophets and judges of the nation of Israel. Today, I'm going to suggest that perhaps her greatest heroism was found in her waiting, in her anticipation of God showing up for her. Her story teaches me, and I hope it can teach you, to hold on to the hope that the mural expresses, that we are created for more than where we currently are, and we are invited to boldly hope for a vision of what we could have and be. Her story also shows us that as we wait, God will show up for us in new and perhaps unexpected ways. So today we're going to focus on um, Hannah, who was a woman in the Old Testament who eventually became the mother of Samuel. So this is her story from 1 Samuel 1, 1 through 20. It's long, I apologize, um, but I think the whole story sort of captures a lot of pieces of waiting that you wouldn't get if you didn't have the whole story. So this is the whole story. There was a certain man from Ramathium, a Zephite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Also, I just got through all of those words and pronounced them correctly. <laughs> year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head." As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking uh, wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. 
Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. So there's a lot in that story. So to help us unpack it, I want to look at three different parts of Hannah's story. Hannah before she went to the temple, um, Hannah at the temple, and then Hannah after her prayer. So first, let's talk about Hannah before she goes to the temple. The text tells us that Hannah and her family had been visiting the town of Shiloh for years as an act of religious devotion. This journey from the sounds of things was not a pleasant one for Hannah. Instead, it was full of bitterness, longing, and maybe even some desperation. Hannah could not have children and therefore had to face the stigma and isolation that would have resulted in a society where women were valuable because of their ability to continue their husband's family line. So on this trip, Hannah was constantly reminded of this. Her husband loved her, which provided relief in a time when arranged marriages were common and love was not a requirement, but she had to share him with another wife who could not only have children, but liked to throw this fact in front of Hannah's face, so much so that it tells us that Hannah was so upset that she stopped eating. So there's no way to soften how Hannah feels. She's miserable. Um, she feels incomplete, and it feels like she can't focus on anything else. So why does she feel that way? I think one interpretation could be that Hannah felt incomplete because she was unable to live up to the expectations that her society placed on her as a woman. I think that's a very real experience that people have when they feel like they can't do what their society is calling them to do, but I actually think that there's more to what's happening with Hannah than that. So in my read of Hannah, um, there's something deeper that cuts to the core of who Hannah is and who God has made her to be. Hannah is in despair because she knows that there is within her a deep and powerful longing, the kind of longing that we cannot explain, but that rattles us down to our very core. I think we all have those things that we long for. For Hannah, that thing was motherhood. Maybe parenthood is also what you long for. Maybe it's community. Maybe it's a career change that feels impossible. Maybe it's mending a relationship that seems damaged beyond repair. Hannah's story tells us that we are allowed, and maybe even invited, to boldly hope for these desires as a part of who God created us to be, even when they feel ridiculous. Hannah's story invites us to ask ourselves, what is it that you long for that seems impossible to hope for? What is it that you feel down in your gut is something that you were made for, even though right now it feels far away and maybe even like it will never happen at all? And when you ask those questions, I think Hannah would suggest that you should be curious about what comes up and like Hannah, avoid the tendency to settle for less or think that because you don't have it, God doesn't want it for you. Um, here, though, I think it's important to stop and note a couple of things. There's a way of reading this story that positions God as a genie. So at the end of the story, Hannah goes home, and poof, magically, there's a baby. Um, so because of this, I think it would be easy to read this story as one of wish fulfillment, where you pray and you get exactly what you want, and God sort of grants all of your wishes. Um, in some ways, I want that to be the way this story should be read. I want this story to be prescriptive. Um, I resonate with Hannah's pain in particular because ever since I can remember, I have also wanted to have children. Um, motherhood has always been something that I have imagined and hoped for myself, but it's part of my identity that I can't yet claim because I don't have children. Um, so I would really like to believe that this story tells me that just like Hannah, I can be confident that someday I will have a child. 
For me and for many women that I know, motherhood is a touchy subject. I've talked to many women for whom fears, hopes, and prayers about motherhood occupy a lot of their time. Some women want to be mothers but are single, so the desire for a child is amplified by the desire for a partner. Some women want to be mothers but can't have their own biological children. Some women are trying to have children, but the journey has been full of obstacles. So the pain of all of those stories and those that don't fit into any of those categories is real. Um, and if you're in one of those spaces, I wanted to take time to acknowledge that this story can be really hard to hear for those reasons. Um, I wish that I could say that this story is hopeful because it says that one day you too will get to be a mother, but I can't say that because I don't know. I also don't think that that's what God is up to here. Instead, I think Hannah's story teaches us to be brave by being open to God showing up in new and expected ways. So we don't actually know how long it took for Hannah to have a child. The text makes it sound immediate, but it might not have been. Regardless, though, of whether or not it happened right away or if Hannah had to wait, when she prayed at the temple, she didn't know if her prayer would be answered. So in Hannah's story, we have the benefit of hindsight. We know that she not only had Samuel, but later she also had several other children. But she didn't know that. So if we read this story and think that asking God for something automatically means that we'll get it, I think we're diminishing the pain Hannah experienced in the waiting, the pain we experience in the waiting, as well as the boldness of Hannah's prayer, and we miss out on experiencing that boldness ourselves. Hannah was brave because she didn't know the outcome, but she trusted God to show up for her anyway. She didn't question whether or not God was in this with her, even though the outcome was uncertain. It's also worth noting that Hannah got exactly what she wanted. She got, it a son. she got a son, but then she gave this son away and didn't actually get to raise him. This probably wasn't exactly the vision that she had in mind when she first started wanting children. God showed up, but not in the way that Hannah might have originally pictured. I think it's also important to note that in this text, we get the end of the story, we get the miracle. So we don't know about all of those other years. We don't know if Hannah had been going on this pilgrimage year after year, and every year she prayed for a child, and every year she went home and faced another year of childlessness. I imagine that in those years of the annual sacrifice pilgrimage, Hannah might have wondered whether or not she should abandon her desire for children. Even though her husband loved her, he had moved on to find another wife who could have children. Maybe Hannah wondered if she should also move on and settle for less than what she clearly longed for. That would be easier, right? It's easy to give up on what we want, to settle into despair, and to assume that that's the way it has to be. But fortunately for Hannah and for us, she doesn't settle. So instead, one year, she gets up from the table and goes to the temple to pour her heart out to God. And in that moment, God shows up for her. That's the moment of this story that is hopeful. So if you're waiting for something that you don't yet have, the hope in this story is not found in getting what you want. It's found in being met by a God who will show up in your waiting exactly as you are. When Hannah goes to the temple, she goes exactly as she is, broken, sad, and distressed. The story tells us that she's in deep anguish and she's weeping bitterly. So this is not a woman who is sugarcoating her pain. When she does that, she is taking a big risk in two ways. First, she risks being misunderstood, ridiculed, or rejected from her community. Eli, the, the high priest and sort of the religious gatekeeper of that community, thinks that she's drunk. In his mind, that's the only explanation for her behavior. So that moment sort of reads to me like the biblical version of mansplaining, because he just is sort of like, you're drunk. That must be what's going on. Um, there's no other reason why you could be acting this way. 
And she kind of takes that for what it is, but she's unwavering. She simply tell, tells Eli that he's wrong, and then she says that she was pouring out her soul to the Lord. And then Eli, like, changes his tune really fast and is like, go in peace, get what you want, um, which I also think is just funny. She doesn't back down, and her reaction, I think, to Eli invites us to go to God exactly as we are in the waiting, even if it feels ridiculous or looks that way to others, and sit with him in however we're feeling. I think the second risk that Hannah takes is that she risks boldly claiming the thing she clearly feels she was made for before God, and then having to wait and risk being disappointed. Hannah is raw. She could have chosen to try to hide that or diminish it in her prayer. But she doesn't, which is risky. She's letting God see exactly how hard this is for her. And what if God doesn't show up? What if she's alone in those feelings? I think those are really real, fair questions. But as the story unfolds, the opposite happens. Hannah's not disappointed by God. She's met by him. So when I picture Hannah's experience of waiting in my head, um, I picture waiting as like sitting on a chair. And when I think about myself in Hannah's position, that chair is on a porch in West Philly. But if that's not helpful for you, you can let that part go. Um, probably the chair could be anywhere. So as she waits, sitting on her chair, she decides to ask God to pull up a chair next to her and sit with her. And of course, God does that. It's like he's been waiting to do that for her all along. He doesn't care that she's a woman. He doesn't care that she's presenting as super emotional. He doesn't care that in her society she doesn't have the status that other women do. He cares that she's in pain, and he sits with her in that pain and in her waiting. And for me, that's an extremely comforting image. So when Hannah invites God to sit with her, God shows up for her, and he fundamentally transforms her experience of waiting. So the story tells us that when Hannah was done praying, she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. This is a 180 from where she had been before she invited God into her waiting. Before she was crying, she was distressed, she wouldn't eat, and now all of a sudden her face has changed and she's able to eat again. So it's as if the process of going to God and sitting with him exactly as she was is healing in and of itself. I think the miracle in this story is not just that Hannah gets what she wants. It's also that in the process, she's met by a deeply personal and loving God, and this encounter fundamentally heals her even before she gets what she wants. So that's been my experience of God as well. I've been a Christian pretty much my whole life, and as a result, I've had some experience of praying and getting what I wanted, but most of the time I've found that I don't get what I want, um, but that God meets me in that and brings me somewhere unexpected. So for several years, I went to a church in Boston um, that actually used to be related to this church, and they did a yearly faith experiment that they called Leap of Faith. It's similar to what we do um, around Lent, but it has a deeper focus on asking God for one really big thing that you normally would never ask for and that you're probably afraid to ask for. So I still do that every year during Lent, and I've been doing it for like six or seven years, and I've almost never gotten the thing that I asked for. So the God is genie thing really doesn't work out, at least in my experience. Um, but I've also found that it doesn't matter. At the end of those 40 days, I typically feel connected with God in a way that I didn't before. I learn something new about him and as a result about myself. I get a clearer picture of who I am and who God created me to be. That doesn't mean that I stop wanting the things that I asked for, and it doesn't mean that I settle for less than those things if I really feel that God has created me for them. But it means that I sit with God in the waiting, 
And I found year after year that that's enough. Maybe one day, like Hannah, I'll get all the things that I want. Maybe they'll look exactly like I want them to, or maybe they won't. But at the end of the day, I think Hannah's story tells us that just naming those things and holding them and laying them before God and sitting with him in the waiting is enough. Because when we do that, I think the story tells us that he will show up for us. Um, So before I turn it back over to Emily, I just wanted to pray really quickly for those things um, and for God to kind of sit with us in the things that we wait for. Um, Jesus, thank you so much for the fact that you come and sit alongside us as we wait. Um, I just want to hold up those things that we're waiting for, um, and especially people who feel like they've been waiting a really long time for something and it hasn't happened the way that they want it to. Um, I just pray that you would sit next to us in this space and wait with us, And I pray that you would show up for us in the ways that you showed up for Hannah um, and that you would just transform our experience of waiting. I pray that the rest of this service um, and going into this week, we would be able to do, um, experience that as we wait. Amen.